Morning, Christchurch. We have a special treat today. Today's service, in fact, is going to be um, a really like kid-child-oriented service. So um, at this time, I want to invite all the children to come on up for a special kids message. You can, kids, come on up, and you'll sit um, right around here. And we've got a special message just for you this morning. And as the kids are coming up, um, you know that on a day when you speak about like a, a children's message day, Jesus always has something to say to the kids. He says, uh, "Let the little ones come to me." Speaks to them. Come on forward. You guys can come on up. And um, he always has a way. But when I, I go back through the years and I ask people what sermons are the most memorable through the years, um, the adults, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. Just get cozy right here. Get comfortable. If a parent needs to come up and sit with someone too, that's perfectly fine. Um, the, what I often find is that what people, what sermons people remember most are often the children's sermons, that it seems like Jesus has something to say to the kids and also to the adults. They feel that especially on these sorts of mornings. So kids, I'm so delighted that you're here and you have a treat. We have Deacon Terry Fisher is going to come forward. She's going to preach this morning. She's going to give you a message and then a message for all of us as well. And just so you know, as Deacon Terry is coming forward, she is a clergy member She's a spiritual director. Um, you might not know she's also an educator. And when I first moved to Texas and my kids started going to school, they got to have Deacon Terry as their teacher. And it was such a wonderful treat. So you kids are in for a blessing this morning. Thank you, Father Matt. Do you guys want to scooch a little closer so I can see you better? Okay. Good morning, children. <laughs> I know some of your faces. Some of you might be new. This might be your first or second Sunday here. Who knows? But I'm so glad to see each one of you this morning. We read a psalm, Psalm 46, but we read a different version. Did you know there's lots of versions of the Bible? Yes. Yeah. Well, I am going to read you a version that I just love, the pictures that it paints in our minds. Um, it's written by a pastor named Eugene Peterson, and it's in the Bible that he titled The Message. Okay, you want to close your eyes and you can just imagine what these images would look like. God is a safe place to hide, ready to help when we need him. We stand fearless at the cliff edge of doom, courageous in sea storm and earthquake, before the rush and roar of oceans, the tremors that shift mountains. Jacob, wrestling God, fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. River fountains splash joy, cooling God's city, this sacred haunt of the Most High. God lives here. The streets are safe. God at your service from crack of dawn. Godless nations rant and rave. Kings and kingdoms threaten. But earth does anything he says. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. Attention all. See the marvels of God? He plants flowers and trees all over the earth. Bans war from pole to pole, breaks all the weapons across his knee. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at God. 
You are high God, above politics, above everything. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. I have a picture that we're going to put up on the screen that's a special picture of an angel. This angel was painted by a French artist who loves to paint angels and other things from the Bible. His name is Archibus. And this, this angel is riding a bicycle. I think he wants to get to you really fast to help you. What do you think? Have you ever thought of an angel riding a bicycle before? Do you think you will? You know, next time you think of angels, you might think, well, there was that one that was riding a bicycle. <laughs> yeah. Does anybody ever feel nervous? Maybe at the start of school. A lot of you I know have already started school. Some of you are starting next week. Do you get nervous thinking about a new classroom or a new teacher? Maybe a little bit afraid? I always did. I got really nervous. I thought, well, I don't know the teacher. Don't know if they're nice. Don't know if they're patient. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to know anybody in the classroom or have a friend. So this is a, this is a, a psalm that we can take with us when we are nervous or afraid. So we're going to learn one phrase from this psalm that you can take with you when you're in school, and you can say it to yourself inside your mind, or you can share it with friends even. So I'm going to say the first line, and then I'm going to count to three, and I want you guys to use really strong voices and say it with me, okay? Are you ready? Listen, and then I'll count to three. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. One, two, three. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. Good job. God of angel armies protects us. One, two, three. God of angel armies protects us. Good job. So when you're in a situation where your tummy's maybe feeling a little nervous or your heart is pounding, you can remember these words. Go home and practice them. Jacob wrestling, army, Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. Okay. Thank you, children. You've been wonderful. I hope you enjoyed being up here for the children's sermon. You can go back to your seats now. So the text for today is Psalm 46, for the adults and for the children. There are a few things that I hope you take away from today's message. First, the most important is um, reading and praying the Psalms and taking those in to digest them. Second, I hope you'll consider reading the Psalms on a more regular basis. Um, we have the honor of being in a liturgical church, and so the psalms are a part of our rhythm. Every week, we get to read, pray a psalm. We stand together, and we pray the psalm. And um, that has been um, a beautiful rhythm for us as we came into liturgical worship. But um, a third thing that I hope that you take away today 
is that you find encouragement to use the faculty of your imagination, the way Archibus did for that angel image, to find hope. And we'll talk about that a little more. I first sat up and took notice of the Psalms when I read Edith Schaefer's autobiographical work about her life and the ministry that she shared with her husband, Dr. Francis Schaefer, at Labrie in Switzerland. Um, in the book, which is titled The Tapestry, she described her scripture reading habits, which included at least one psalm a day. I was in those busy mothering years at that point. Um, but when the twins went down for their nap and the other children, the two other children were reading quietly or playing, that was my scripture reading time. Adding a psalm a day, no matter what other book I was reading. And it was, it was a beautiful addition. Um, and it was something that I just didn't expect to receive the gifts of all the different images and the different emotions that the Psalms capture for us as humans. More recently, just a few years since I've been mothering, I've been reading about the Benedictine practices. And I found myself in awe that in the monasteries that follow St. Benedict's original outline, all 150 psalms are prayed or chanted every single week. And in addition to that, Psalm 4, Psalm 91, and Psalm 134 are all prayed every day on top of numerous other psalms as they go through the entire Psalter in one week. So I got out my calculator because <laughs> I was wondering just how many psalms you know, did they hear in a year's time. That is a total of praying 8,164 psalms every year. Can you imagine the formational power of reading 8,164 psalms in a year? Year after year, rhythm upon rhythm. Because once you were in a monastery, the plan was you weren't going to leave anytime soon. <laughs> of course, that's not a realistic goal outside the confines of a monastery, for most of us. But how might the Psalms form us and form in us a biblical imagination? Images of how God shelters us, leads us, loves us through the joys and trials of everyday life. First and foremost, I think it's important to note that the Psalms are poetry. Our culture is at a point where poetry is not necessarily held in high esteem as it once was. We're more into scientific literalism. Just the facts, ma'am. That's from a very, very old TV show. In David Taylor, the po he, well, he's a, himself a priest, a professor, a theologian, anything else. David Taylor's book on the Psalms, Open and Unafraid, he writes that poetry tells us that the world is more than just empirically classifiable stuff. It is wonderful stuff. It is stuff that deserves our precious time and our loving attention. Poetry slows us down 
enough to give God's world the attention it deserves. This wonderful stuff is fodder for the imagination, a faculty uniquely developed in humans. If you follow many Christian publications these days, like I do, you might have noticed that the church seems to have rediscovered the imagination. There are numerous titles for articles and books that sound something like this, Redeeming the Imagination, Baptizing the Imagination, Reenchanting the Imagination, and Developing Sacred Imaginations. Just to name a few, I happen to inhale all of those articles. I couldn't be more excited at this turning towards something God clearly holds in high regard. He gives us images abundant to form our imagination in order to help us understand more deeply and more truly who he is. The church is pushing back, finally, against scientific literalism and remembering that there is more, so much more. Richard Foster, in his book, Prayer, said, we must not despise this simpler, more humble root into God's presence. Jesus himself taught in this manner, making constant appeal to the imagination in his parables. It would seem safe to use our imaginations, since Jesus himself encourages us to do so. But imagination can get a bad rap. After all, every human faculty is fallen and subject to sin and to the influence of the enemy of our souls. 1 Corinthians 10.5 instructs us on this subject. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. If we are immersing our imagination in Scripture, in the very words that God has given us, are we not plunging our imaginations into the sanctifying waters of the Word? Richard Foster quotes Francis de Sales, By means of the imagination, we confine our mind within the mystery of which we meditate, that it may not ramble to and fro, just as we shut up a bird in a cage or tie a hawk by his leash so that we may find rest on the hand. By meditating on scripture, we are forming, we're transforming our minds with the images God has chosen for us to use as tools for our understanding. We're learning to think God's thoughts after him, to shape our desires for him by praying his own words back to him. Another quote from Foster's book, this one by the Scottish preacher Alexander White, is you open your New Testament and your imagination at that point, at that moment, you are one of Christ's disciples on the spot. Or you're that disciple on the seashore at night with the fire crackling and the fish frying. You're there in your imagination or maybe you're at the feet of Christ and anointing his feet with oil. Another time, you might be Peter on the porch, 
When we use our imagination as we read scripture and as we pray, we more easily allow our mind to descend from our mind to our heart. Change and growth can happen when these two faculties are united, and that union gives birth to hope. Ephesians 1.18 teaches us, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people. It's a tiny four-letter word, but oh, so powerful, hope. I don't think we can have hope if we don't exercise our imaginations. Um, I especially love um, one of the hymns that we sing during Advent, the Canticle of the Turning, because we are declaring what our hope is in that song, that everything is going to be restored, renewed, remade, reformed. We have a gift that the world doesn't have. We can see the truth beyond the brokenness that we, we have in our world. C.S. Lewis wrote, Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. Sadly, many of us are so tethered to this world and the things it offers that we scarcely take thought of the world to come. Yet it is precisely by reflecting often on the joys, the beauties, and satisfactions of eternal life in the world to come that we find a hope that empowers us to live fully for Christ today. To be tethered to this world is to fall victim to the story the world's telling us day in and day out. The media outlets are controlling that story, which is controlling our imaginations more often than not. Those stories are full of destruction and tragedy, but our story is full of hope, restoration of all God's intentions for good, for justice, and for victory over death. Contrary to being tethered to the world, we, God's people, need to be tethered to the word of God, allowing hope to take root and grow. The Bible is brimful of words of hope. Here's just a few. Psalm 25.5 Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Romans 5.5 5. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. Romans 15.13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christchurch, 
Only biblically formed and informed imaginations led by the Holy Spirit can counter the world's despair by offering hope. We pray this psalm every week in our liturgy following the footsteps of the early church. And while it might be amazing to experience a year of 8,164 psalms, we might need to set our goals a little closer to home and take some baby steps. One psalm a day is pretty doable for the majority of us. If you want a bigger baby step than that, you can turn to the Book of Common Prayer, and it, in it you'll find um, a guide for reading through all the psalms in one month. So 150 psalms in 30 days. Um, when I have managed that, it has been transformative. It's been really a deep blessing. So I encourage you to take up the psalms in your daily life and let your imaginations be formed by the word, for the word, to bless the word and one another. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.